This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media. Hello and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my friend, Liz Stone. And you just have like a name that sounds like you should be like a, a hero in a, a chick romance or something. Don't you think, Liz? <laughs> For sure. Yeah. People always comment about that name. I think it's the stone. I just think it's a really fun and unique name. So thank so, you. Did you ever see Romancing the Stone? It was like, I'm, I'm older than you are. Did you ever see that movie? I remember that movie. Yeah. I found that to be so scandalized when I saw it because <laughs> there's a scene where he's, he's flirting with her on top of her. And I was like, what? And they like show, <laughs> they show like the sides of bodies. And so the name stone makes me think of that. Cause wasn't her last name stone? I think they, were so, yeah. like, they were like going after a stone. So uh-huh. I, just, I just, if I get a little flushed and all this sexy, sexy talk, you'll, you'll know. You'll know I'm glad to know that I bring that up, that visual up for you. Yeah. Yeah. They're super, super sexy. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, Liz, it's getting whoa. hot in here. Yeah. Wow. But you know, isn't it funny when we're kids that like we see, you know, we see things and they just kind of stay in our minds. And yeah. now I'd be like, I mean, I'm not really into watching sexy things on TV. You know, I don't really enjoy that. And I also kind of find it funny because there'll be like this couple and it's supposed to be this big epic, epic romance. And they're like, Oh, it's been since we've been together. Uh, and you're like, if you love each other, why is it such a big deal if you're being together? I'm sorry. And I just, maybe cause I'm, you know, one of those crazy, weird, happily married people who doesn't think it has to, you know, I don't know. It's just so funny. Cause you're like, I'm sorry. Why, why is this a big weird event that you guys are being together? You know? Right. And we just suddenly be, we're not PG. I'm talking about pancakes, people, pancakes. Why is it a big deal? That you're having pancakes together. <laughs> Right? right. And this right. is like, how, how is this? Where is this going? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for letting me put my guard down. Just set that up right away. Yeah. Yeah. Just bring up, you know, sex and pancakes and everybody <laughs> is calmer. But uh, my family really enjoyed watching the Bond movies. Oh, okay. Yeah. And those I were haven't seen a lot of Bond movies. Those were a lot of pancakes, you know? <laughs> and then I'm like, why were they showing your 12 year old, you know, that many breakfast foods, you know? <laughs> okay, Liz, how many kids do you have? I know you got a couple. Yeah. So we do have three. Okay. Okay. So three kids and, and one brand, brand new grandbaby. I will say that's the big event. How, yeah, how are you year. younger than me? I can, I'm still, I get it. I know, I know I got married late for some, for Am you I younger than you? I'm not sure. I just I'm 48. 50. Okay. Oh, there you go. Mother. There you go. Okay. Cause I am, um, I'm not ready for the grandparent. Ba- I mean, you know, I hear it's awesome, but I have a hard time imagining it's better than being a parent. Cause I love being a parent, but yeah. you have a grandbaby. Yeah. Yes. And I said, I said that same thing, Lita, because I'm like, well, I don't know, because I loved my babies like every day and I still call them my babies, but this is just like next level because I, like, I can see my daughter in her and I can see like little flashes of me sometimes. And my husband, it's just, it's the greatest. It's everything they say. I just everything. like love her up top to bottom, upside down, backwards. It's the sweetest thing. It just goes to show the most important things in life are not things outside of us. You know, it's yeah. who we are, you know, the people we love seeing them thrive. Right. Yeah. And th- when those things don't work, the most amazing epic life is hell. Right. Right. So it's worth the work into our relationships. Yeah, yep. for sure. Okay. Good podcast. That was a good, that was a good point. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you know, there we go. Okay. So, um, I reached out because I like reaching out to my friends and being like, Hey, and you're like, I have fun stories. So let's get in to your, your juicy story that you want to share with us, Liz. Yeah. Do you want me just, where are we jumping? Just jump in. Yeah. Just jump in. Let's just do it. I mean, unless you want to talk about pancakes more. <laughs> <laughs> um, there may be some somewhere toward the end. No, just kidding. But so one thing that um, people always ask me, so here recently, Lita, and I don't, I don't know if you even know this, but at uh, the beginning of November, we opened up a uh, healing center here in Tooele County, Utah, where I live. And um, we're focusing on trauma-informed resources. And what's fun about this is that I'm finally able to kind of bring several passions home. So we launched a Stone and Crystal Shop in March of this year. 
And now this is kind of that next level, but we're also bringing our nonprofit here into the same uh, same building. So we have an office here for Empowering the One, and we do prevention after care of human trafficking, specifically with youth aging out the orphanage. Hey, let's, yeah, you, I did not know the human trafficking thing. You know I'm passionate about this. Okay, yeah. So we, we've got more more talk here to do. And then um, just like people um, always ask me, like, how did we get started on this road? Uh, was Have I always been into stones and crystals? And my answer there is no. I see Stones and Crystal Lose kind of being a jumping off point. They're super supportive and they're very grounding to me, but the healing that we're moving toward is, is so much. Um, so okay, much so, let's, so let's, let's dig into those for a second. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna be controversial. Okay. Okay, so you can break it down for people like me. I have people that will give me stones and you can tell, it's like, okay, so you know, like in Japan, they'll give you a business card and they will hand the business card to you with two hands touching the card, right? Right. And, they're, and they really treat the business card with reverence. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, oh, thank you. You know, you take, take the business card. And I like that because I like to think, you know, when somebody gives me their card that I'm going to receive it with it. I may not bow and be too handed about it, but, you know, at least look at it, you know, like why do they choose to put these different things on the card? Things like that. Well, right. people have given me stones and I lived in Alaska and I started a recycling shed in my high school. And I'm really excited about that. I have river rock that have been put into the bottom of my new shower that should be implemented any day now because <laughs> of the flood. But, you know, I chose and I feel like it's grounding and I like having nature around and I love being in nature. So I get that. But I really don't understand, and it kind of sounds woo-woo to, I think, a lot of us, when people hand me a rock and they're like, this is going to really ground you. And I'm like, well, thank you. And I kind of think of like the business card thing. And then I throw it in the bottom of my purse. And then I ran to this one friend one day and she goes, do you still have the rock? And I said, yeah. And I started digging in my purse and she looked at me like, you are a terrible person. And I know she didn't want to be giving me that kind of look. And she pulled out of her her bra. She (laughs) has the stone like right there in her her heart chakra. And she showed it to me that this is where the rock was supposed to go. And I was like, Okay. I don't know why I would carry a cold rock in Utah and then (laughs) a sweaty rock, you know, like I get nature and I love nature. So for those that are like, okay, why? I mean, I get it. I get it that people like it, but I don't. And all people like, do you hold it? Do you feel it? And I'm like, feels like a good rock, but I don't feel a difference between different rocks. And I know I'm supposed to feel a difference between different rocks. And I like nature a lot. So break it down for the person who's like me, you know, that's like, but I wouldn't wear it in my bra. Right. Well, I love that you bring this up because um, people actually do ask me this because people will come in all over the spectrum and, and I'll kind of bring it back around to my story and why I brought it up. But um, but for me, kind of like you had said, anything from nature is going to have a grounding property. And so what, what happened is I was going through my own healing journey and I, I would pick up a rock or somebody would hand me something. And what I found was I would tuck it in my pocket and then I would sit and fidget with it. And at the time, I didn't know everything that I was doing. I just thought, I just think they're beautiful. I get, like you said, I get that they're grounding. But what about this specific rock? Well, a couple of things were happening for me. One was I was going through a very intense healing journey. And when I'm sitting there rubbing the the texture and the uh, face of that rock, I'm staying very tactile. I'm I'm connecting with my body. I'm very much in the felt sense. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of things that were happening. That's what wasn't. Okay, so hold on. Because I do believe in the principle of how like every modality of prayer has where we're touching ourselves again right? Like, you know, folding our arms, palms together, you know, the, the, the Zen, I don't know, you know, you know, fingers are touched. Um, the, and it's interesting that all forms of prayer have some kind of completing the electrical circuit. So is that a connection that rocks are like helping like be a conduit for that electrical circuit? Well, I, it's possible. I'm going to, I'm going to say that's possible. I'm going to say for me, there's, um, there's a lot of different ways you can come out. That one would be intention. Um, I can set an intention around this rock. I have a water bottle that I carry with me everywhere and I happen to have rose quartz in it. And a couple of things. One is I have a water bottle that (laughs) happens to have water in it, Right. but you literally held up your water bottle. And I'm just, Uh I'm just going to be the skeptic for the person who's like, what? And is too shy to ask. Sure. Why are you, why do you have rose quartz in your water bottle? And there's literally a rock in her water bottle. Yes. So there's a little capsule in the bottom of my water bottle with rose quartz. And so like 
if you look at the concept in terms of anything, everything is energy and vibration. So if you look at it from that standpoint, when I bring something of a higher vibration into my space, I tend to rise to that level. I can also do the same and I can lower. We do it with music. We do it. We feel it in our space. And we're like, oh, this kind of makes me go wooey or ooey. I need to like, it's Jeffy, I need to get out of this space. You know, um, that so they have I'm, done studies where um, so there was a guy who was a recruiter for neo-Nazis, like uh-huh. white, white supremacy kind of stuff. And yeah. he you know, ended up breaking away from that lifestyle. Um, and he wrote a book. And he talked about how music was their main recruiting tool. TJ Levin. Yeah. Yeah. Is that who you're referring to? Yeah, yeah it is. Thank you. I couldn't, yes. I didn't remember his name out in the moment, but it's a really great book that I made my kids read. Right. Because they're like, music doesn't matter. Hmm. <laughs> it does. it super matters. Yeah. Bridget yeah. Search um, helped co-write that. And she's, I'm, I'm a huge fan of hers. But yes. So yeah. Well, I, I knew she advice. helped write it, but I didn't, um, you know, she's helped write yeah. a lot of, I mean, she's a New York Times bestselling author and she does a lot of uh, ghostwriting for right. different, I don't know, I wouldn't say it's ghostwriting because we all know that she did it, but she helps write some pretty crazy, amazing stories of people who overcome some awesome stuff. But that point was a big point that I got from that book of how important music was. So go back to what yeah. you were saying. See how, see how yeah. I'm pulling it into this woo-woo to, to what I know? Yeah, for sure. So if, if I, every time I pick up that water bottle, what if it were nothing more Lena, than an intention that I had set that I'm going to be kind to myself? Like Rose Quartz is thought of as being um, our opening self-love or forgiveness rather so what if it's nothing more than an intention and every time I take a drink that's going through my mind I feel like it was worth the price of admission there but if we go one step okay so you're saying this is the the rose quartz is known its properties like medicinal is is that a way to say it or just the the energetic properties yeah so a way that it would influence um and so as I bring that into my body I'm mostly water and water has memory so I just look at that as I'm bringing this this energy into my body and I can uh, rise to those higher frequencies. So I say that so you're saying if, if it's nothing more than this is what you believe it does. It's great as a great reminder to be open. If you have the rose quartz, I would say that would be um, a really easy way to step into it for sure. Yeah. But that's, but that's like, step, that'd be like step one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. And, mm-hmm. and right there, we've already, like, it would be worth, um, it would be worth bringing that in by setting yeah. those intentions and doing that. But I mean, what's so, a symbol? I'm wearing a symbol yeah. of a ring. Uh-huh. Right. And, you know, a, a, this you know wedding ring on my left hand symbolizes a commitment that I have made. And that's mm-hmm. a symbol. And there's an intention around that. So, yeah, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. And everything in everything in energy or yeah, everything in nature would have an energy and vibration to it. So I'm just bringing that into my space and into my body. And um, back to my to my other point about I used to just I didn't start here. Um, I guess I'd like to say I didn't start out ever aspiring to own a stone and crystal shop. I didn't think about um, something like a healing center being possible for me. But um, I'm also one who. Um, I, as a trauma survivor, I have spent the last um, probably 18 years pursuing different resources, looking for a way to heal. And to be to be truthful, I probably spent you know another 15 before that actively avoiding my trauma. So um, as a trauma you survivor, mind if I ask you just not to have to do like you know um, anything feeling too vulnerable um, when you say trauma, are you were you molested as a child? Were you assaulted as an adult? Do you mind me asking what range? Well, of course. Just for yeah, those listening so, to empathize sure. and, and to connect with that. Yes. So I was actually um, held captive for a time in a domestic violence situation and um, held in restraints off and on for not quite two years. And when I got out of that situation, I had to get out with help. Um, But when I left that situation, I literally ran. I ran. I was not about, you know, coping, healing, acknowledging. I just ran forward in my life. And then I always talk about being held captive twice in my life, once in that very physical, actual being held captive. And then years later, just my world kind of um, imploding and coming down, being held captive to all of that fear, pain, and shame. And I'm going to say unresolved, mm-hmm. um, all of this unresolved trauma that um, I had unsuccessfully tried to run from, and it just get all caught up with me. And then as here I was a young mother, a young wife and mother, and my world shut down, I became agoraphobic, uh, which means I- Afraid I, of heights? Well, no, open spaces. No, afraid of open essentially, spaces. Essentially being um, afraid of being in a position where you could easily be trapped, not, not easily escape. Okay. So that for me, that was like a car. 
at one point in the very early days, it looked like a shower. I mean, I just really, really wow. retreated uh-huh. to the four wells yeah. in my room. And, and I think, it, yeah, I think anyone who's been through trauma is going to be like, right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's crazy how, when we do not deal with that, how it seeps out in unintended places. Right. And, yeah. And so, uh, yeah. I was just going to say the work that we do now, we refer um, a lot to like dealing with trauma or um, resources for trauma. And what I want to point out here is this is like trauma happens. Trauma is part of, um, I think that everybody experiences trauma in a lifetime, but societally, I would say we're experiencing uh, trauma to some degree, but I'm referring to that unresolved trauma that just kind of waits for us. And like we tuck it in our liver and our, um, and our stomach and um, just lives to, to come out at another point. And for me, unfortunately, that was as a young wife and mother. It really, it shut down my world all over again. So when you were were you, a, you were a wife, obviously, because of domestic mm-hmm. violence. I'm assuming you were married to them or not. Okay, so you're in this commitment with them, and mm-hmm. you have children with them. No, gratefully, I did not. We were we were engaged, but, um, and we did we lived together in a small basement apartment, but no children, gratefully. And, yeah, and it's um, interesting yeah. because those who have not been through having someone you love turn on you, it is not as easy as you think it is to get away from that. Oh, it's very confusing. It's not like it is in the movies where, you know, suddenly they turn on you. It's they figure out your your insecurities, they, you know, they groom you to use a, you know, a pedophile term to accept what's going to happen and, you know, master of maybe conscious to subconscious manipulation that these abusers use. And so I just like to really make sure we're talking about abuse that those who've not encountered that kind of um, understand to not judge those who have, because you, thank God you haven't, if you do not understand what that feels like. Right. Yeah. It's actually a blessing to not understand that. So we can just, um, we can just kind of hold that space for others, hopefully. But yeah, it's very confusing to have somebody that you love hurt you in that way. And so it took me some time to be able to break free. And like I say, that was actually with some help. And then moving forward, um, when all of that came back home and started to, to come to the surface, um, I just I just remember uh, feeling like I didn't know where to start. I didn't know how to go about it. I, I talked to a therapist at the time that didn't know how to help me. And I, I'm going to leave room that that was that particular um, therapist. But it was very scary to me that I felt like no one knew how to help me. And what I knew for sure was that I couldn't live in that space. And I couldn't raise my children in that space. And um, so I was very, very motivated. Children with is a safe person. Yes. Okay. And so they're trying to walk through this with you as well. And I'm assuming like my own, uh, my own past that, uh, you know, having been molested from two and a half to 14, you know, I wrote my book, Love Me Too, about how, um, you know, I got to a thriving place Mm -hmm. that there were different levels of trauma that came out as I went through different, not only phases of life, like making life, you know, making a baby, um, or even not even feeling like worthy of having the safety that I had. And so it's once that event ends, um, this is why I'm so against the Me Too movement, categorizing all people who've been um, hurt or molested or attacked in that way, labeling us as permanent victims, because that's Mm -hmm. giving power in that attention, you know, using the words that we're talking about this podcast to the person who chose to abuse you. And that, you know, part of breaking free is understanding that though they were responsible for what happened, you have to figure out how to clean that mess up in your own life. Right. And how do we, how do we step forward and how do I create a life? And um, I was raised by a mother that struggled tremendously with um, mental illness. And I just, it really played into how I wanted to create and move forward in my own life. And um, so So where's your mom now on this? Is that too personal to ask? So my mom is, um, no, she's, she's here local and she's, um, she's actually, unfortunately moving into some Alzheimer's and, um, is just kind of on a different, a different spectrum right now. And, um, but she's, she's a beautiful woman. And I, I really believe that, um, you know, we do the best we can. And, um, she, she did what she could with what she had, but, um, for me going out into the world, um, just kind of not feeling super prepared for certain things was a really difficult path. And it actually feeds into some of the work that we do now with empowering the one, um, but, that's that it's kind of a big jump to go from 
you know, me running away from that relationship. And then years later, having all of that trauma come home to roost. And then um, years later, going to Haiti and starting to work with children in prevention and aftercare. And um, that journey, is, it literally was the better part of a decade, but it was just one of pushing back those four walls, being able to go out to the mailbox was a really, really big deal. Being able to go to the store. I remember the first time I closed my eyes in public. It was a big deal. And they felt like milestones to me. And so I, I don't want to jump too quickly because where I'm at right now is a place of, I feel like I'm in a really good place where I'm in a place of creation. But I want to honor that there were some some very, very um, dark, difficult days where I didn't it didn't feel survivable. But right. um, gratefully, I did have um, that. My husband now, we've been married for 22 years. Congrats. Um, he, thank you. He's, he's that. Um, he's very, very supportive. And he gives me massive space. Um, and really empowers me to to seek out different resources and mentors and opportunities to do that healing. So awesome, I, yes. Which is the enhancing power of a great relationship. Sure. You know, I know my husband definitely pushes me to higher heights. So, okay. So going back to because I, you know, I've got this this beautiful individual here in front of me who's willing to have this conversation, explaining for those of us who don't fully understand the the rock thing. So we've gone that we have nature, we have the intention we set with it, and then where do we go? How does it go from there? Like the the different energy fields you're saying that they have around the rocks. Well, yes, but what I'm saying is that um, if everything is energy and vibration, then the stones would carry their own energy and vibration. So they, they act as a support. I, we recently, when we did our ribbon cutting here at the center, because we have a healing center, and by the way, the rock and crystal shop is just meant to be an anchor and an opening conversation for a much larger right, right, right. Um, resource school. But when we were doing that uh, ribbon cutting, somebody asked me, you know, so how do rocks and crystals tie into resolving trauma? And I thought it was such a fabulous question because he allowed me to break it down. He put it right out in front where everyone else was trying to connect these dots. And so um, I would say that they are, again, they're a super simple, easy conversation for us to have. They're beautiful, they're grounding, and they will always support. And then we can start talking about what else is possible, what other resources are out there, um, what other connections we can make. But for me, in my healing journey, I just found that I needed I needed to be surrounded by those mentors. I needed to have an education and try to help move forward and find those. But I, I never would have um, gone out to seek them directly in that way. I wouldn't know where to find them. So, right. okay, so that. let me make sure, I'm, make sure I'm understanding what it is. So they have the energy and the vibration, but then they also have this tactile thing so that in what I would call prayer, it's like this thing to kind of help you focus in on what it is you're needing to communicate with yourself, with life, where you're going. I would say it's more staying present and staying embodied. Okay. That's how it worked for me. What you're saying, Lita, I think a lot of people do. Um, I think a lot of people do come at it from that. What I'm saying for me is that I didn't even think that I didn't even think that big. Like I wasn't even thinking that far down the road. I literally was just trying to stay present, trying to stay embodied. And um, feeling something through my through my hands, the texture, um, it, it was keeping me a little bit more grounded, a little bit more um, physically in that moment and present. And okay, that, so grounding is, is a, in being in the moment is how you look right. at it. I, right. I look at it as like, when I think of being grounded, I think like, you know, the earth has always existed, you know, in, in, in a certain sense. It depends how metaphysical you want to get, right? But the earth exists and I'm a part of this. And because I'm a part of this, there's value, right? Like, you know, just kind of putting you in a place of eternity and our smallness and yet our hugeness all at the same time if that makes sense, which always leads me to feeling like if God could make all this and he put me here in it, then there's, that's a manifestation of value. And I also like it because I feel like everyone who's ever lived still has that same value. Right. right. And so yeah. to make us feel immensely small and insignificant, but in that moment where you're just kind of being like breathing in, you know, the smell of the trees and you can hear the wind and all of it put so perfectly together just so I could enjoy it. That yeah. that's, that's immense too. Right. Sure. Yeah, that, that connection and that belonging to a greater whole, I, I totally identify with that. And I would also say um, back to just kind of my own journey of um, trauma or that unresolved trauma, but what we find is that in, 
in trauma in the physical body because trauma is stored in the tissues of the physical body, we often tend to pull up. That's why like if somebody is really triggered, they can't feel their feet or they're um, you know, maybe disconnected to the lower parts of their body. They tend to be more up in their head or even out here above their head and just feel very disconnected. And that's a common expression. I just feel disconnected. And so again, that's just, it's just one tool, but it is helping to ground that down through and helping us to, to create that connection. Right. Like anytime we can, almost like the roots of a tree, like you were saying, kind of grounding down through the earth and connecting to nature. And then we're starting so, to come back down into and embody that stone. Physical is like, just focus on that very small thing, you know, focusing on how that feels, what's the tingle, what's the sensation to kind of, and I know I already said this, you kind of debunked it, but I think I'm stuck on like a prayer talisman. Oh, for sure. I, okay. I think it could for sure be like a talisman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I'm like, yes. You're like, Lena, you've, I already said, no, it's not about prayer, but I, I just can't write not <laughs> anything yeah. that becomes metaphysical to me. It becomes about the connection with the divine. Yeah. And that's so for essential sure. to who I am. And and so you want to be respectful of other people's beliefs, just like I hope people would be respectful of my belief. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a story of this man and he's talking, it's, you know, in scripture that I love. And this man is talking to this king and he's like, you know, the great spirit, which, you know, is like a very Native American. And he's like, well, what you call the great spirit, I call God. Mm-hmm. And I believe that God, you know, cares about us and loves us and all this kind of stuff. And throughout my life, that, that scripture story has helped me to kind of be like, okay, do, they end up doing amazing things together for the benefit of everyone around them because they were willing to put aside their differences and to listen to what the eternal truths were. Right. Right. And so yeah. when people are handing me a stone and I'm like, and they're handing over with the, you know, the, the business card reverence of a Japanese individual, I'm like, okay, you know, but I have, you know, my, my talismans that are, that are different. And so I feel bad that I throw it in the bottom of my purse. And I have, I have, you know, I have a collection of stones that people have given me over the years, but I don't wear any of them in my bra. Right. I feel like my bra is okay. Off. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, okay. uh, in my religious faith, I do have certain clothing that I wear that mm-hmm. I'm sure people look at that and go, now what? Especially when I've been in hot and humid countries, they're more like very concerned that I'm wearing an extra layer of clothes. So right. I'm definitely not wanting to mock or make light of someone else's spiritual beliefs, because I do think that symbols, talismans, whatever, are very powerful tools to helping us feel not only significant in the greater scheme of things, but to um, remind us in the moments of stress or fear that we have value and that we can, we can uh, delineate or divine or direct where we're going to, what we're going to do with this moment. Right. Right. Yeah. Just kind of bringing us back and, and hopefully centering. And I agree. I, I feel like they are a tool. Um, there are several different tools and resources that we're building out here at our center, but the, but the stone crystal shop is definitely um, a door opener and a tool. For well, thank you here. for explaining it because when someone's handing you the stone, it's not the time to be like, so um, I'm sorry, what is, what is this for? Cause I'm looking at it really about an aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I like this one. I like this it's color. Beautiful. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I need to find a rock that I like to throw on my water bottle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, one that's been cleaned off. <laughs> All right. And maybe not out of the driveway. And <laughs> yeah. No. no those, those don't connect with me. I. I yeah. But I did pay extra to have those uh, rock river rock in my beautiful. rain shower, and I joke that it's going to be like I'm in the jungle. Uh huh. AKA resort, and I'm really excited about that. So um, you know, our human our human bodies are magical things, fascinating. And if that doesn't say that there was a divine hand that made us. I don't know what more evidence and how we have to resolve the pain that happens to us spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, physically. And I think every problem does have to be approached from those four different perspectives. Right. And psychology can be just about the the mental, the mental and emotional. And then, you know, God is the spiritual side of things or the, the stones that you guys are using, right? It's kind of using that metaphysical. And then, you know, physically, uh, you know, I have a degenerative hip from having seven miscarriages and there's definitely a spiritual and a physical that I have to work on to deal with that. For sure. Yeah. You know, I believe in everything. And I do yeah. think that my, I do have an autoimmune and I do think that that um, was caused because of the trauma of my childhood. 
but I also live a lot healthier than the doctors think is possible because of the spiritual modalities that I bring into my life is woo-woo as that sounds to people. You know, you take my blood and they're going to be like, there's no way you could be as productive as you are. And I'm like, well, I am. Right. But it's interesting the different times I've had flare-ups. When you lay that over with the events of my life, there's usually a very profound lesson that has demanded I pay attention to it. And I've talked to a lot of people about these kinds of things. And they'll be like, it's interesting how life does make us keep learning a lesson. One, to get over or to move past and then to thrive and then to give back. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, that you haven't really well, learned the lesson until you learn how to become an advocate for that. Would you agree right. with that, Liz? For sure. And I would say, we were just talking about our age a few minutes ago at 50. Um, I've actually said here in the last couple of years, I'm like, I can't believe I'm, I'm still dealing with this, you know, talking about processing through something from, you know, from my trauma. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm still dealing with this. And I had a friend open my mind to something else. She said, you're coming at it from this height. Like, I, I'm going to start processing and moving through my life from this, this height at 50. But I might come around to the same thing, but I'm not the same woman I was when I came around to it at 20. And so even though like I, I suspect like my history is my history. And this is one of the things that um, I really feel like this was important to my, to my healing. I used to talk about acceptance. Now I talk about embracing because mm-hmm. um, if I can come around at this and start to say, you know, this is part of my story. It will always be part of my story. I'm not going to get to erase it. It doesn't get to go away. I can't bury it. I tried all of these things. What if I just in, start to step into that? Like it feels like you'll just drown, right? Like it just feels insurmountable. I think but, when you're still in the trauma, but I'm really right. loving this word choice between acceptance and embracing because mm-hmm. acceptance in sign language is this gesture that you're bringing it to your chest. Oh. And it's, it's a very, um, it's a very simple gesture, right? Mm-hmm. Where embracing is what it feels like, you know, you're literally hugging, hugging it. And there's a gratitude that comes with embracing when you think about where acceptance, you can be like, okay, fine. I'll take it. Uh, I don't really like it. Right. You can accept right. something in that way, but you can't embrace something without more of a positive emotion, more of a love emotion. And I, I know with my own um, experience of having been sexually molested and different traumas that I've had in my life that I did spend time running away from them. You know, I, that was my Alaska period. Like people would ask me about my life and I would say, would you ask a one-year-old? I mean, how awkward and weird was that? You know, would you ask a one-year-old questions about their life? Because I just didn't know how to phrase, um, explain, and that let down on people's faces, which is so funny that we women do that. I felt like I couldn't make them feel sad to now when people ask me how many kids I have, I'm like, well, I have three. And then I'll tell them, you know, my son's doing this, my daughter's doing this and my other daughter. Well, you know, not to make you sad, but she died. She's in good hands, right? I just have different ways that I say it, but I, I could make it easy and just say two, right? right? But then what that feels like, talk about vibration, that hurts my heart to talk about it. And I'm old enough to remember when I started having my miscarriages, many people told me, don't talk about it. And I was very much given the message about sexual abuse. Don't talk about don't it. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Don't bring it up. And the amount of healing that can happen simply from uh, you know, especially women. I mean, I've never been a man, so I can only talk from, from our, but you know, we women, we communicate through words. We, we share through words and communication and we choose to communicate on average thousands of more words a day than men. Me, I think I'm on the definitely high end scale of that. Um, and what a gift, the ability to communicate experience and wisdom is that telling someone not to talk about something I think leads to sickness, sickness right. of the heart, sickness of the soul, sickness of the body, whatever. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a poopy looking rock. See, I, I, I like how you, how you brought that around. So I think it's amazing that you've created the space where, um, you know, if it is, you know, what I might term as the woo-woo, whatever it is, um, because not everybody wants to approach it from the angle that, that I have found to be healing, which is, you know, the atonement of Jesus Christ. And I don't, um, I think it's a very scary thing to tell people there's only one way to heal, but right. we do have to take responsibility for our healing. Right. Absolutely. And I would say a lot of, a lot of this, there is actually a lot of um, science that's coming together with some of this. One of the resources that we're bringing together here at the, at the healing center um, is EMDR, 
which are uh, you familiar with the MDR? Yeah, yeah. So for, for those listening, eye movement, desensitization, reintegration. So you're reintegrating traumatic memory. That was life-changing for me. And I that's to be reprogramming anti- the subconscious brain, correct? Like kind of reprocessing that memory because those, those traumatic memories that we don't resolve, like I, like I mentioned, they just, they just live on, they literally freeze. Um, yeah. And so that's why it feels present. Like when there are triggers or something comes up, it feels very real to us because it is very right now. Trauma lives right now. So being able to reintegrate those those memories and bring them back is, is to start to move through them. And I actually had um, a therapist say to me, it's because I've been doing EMDR very um, dedicatedly over the last year and a half. And I said to him at one point, well, I don't, I don't want to, like, I feel like I'm barely holding on. Like I, a year and a half ago, I was thinking, is there any way, is there like a magic loophole? Is there a button I didn't know that would allow me to escape this pain and this existence and not hurt my family? Like that's where I was. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying, let's be clear. Are you talking about suicidal feelings, but not wanting absolutely, to pick up those feelings? Absolutely. Okay. Suicidal. So you're but, saying but that you're doing this weight of a mother, you know, being a mother. MDR, MDR. Um, EMDR. Thank you. Uh-huh. EMDR. Uh-huh. You're doing this and it's keeping the trauma in a place that's making you feel like you shouldn't exist. So well, before, no, no, before I started, I was oh, before. Okay, good. Cause I'm like, that does not sound like what people no, that doesn't sound like something okay. want to sign up for. Yeah. No, so before, and I, but I said to him, because his suggestion was, what if we, you know, what if, what if we start moving through this? Are you, are you ready to start doing some of this work? And I said, well, I, I'm barely holding on. I can't, I can't take on more because it feels like, would you like a big wave over your head? Well, no, I wouldn't. Um, yeah, but anyway, no, he I said, like yeah. yeah. And what he said to me is he said, you say that like you're not already carrying it. And that was just a huge mm-hmm. light bulb to me. Cause mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't want to deal with my trauma. I'm barely holding on. And he's like, it's influencing and coloring everything you do. You're already carrying it. You're saying that as if you weren't. And right. so what we're talking about then is processing, moving through and putting down. That's very different than, you know, I'm going to dive in and I'm going to, I'm just going to drown in it. Well, it's this is the false premise of emotions. And we, we, we tease teenagers for this because, you know, the moment they're, the feeling they're feeling in the moment is, you know, forever, you know, you don't understand, yes. but the truth <laughs> is inside all of us is a dramatic teenager right. that thinks the feeling is forever. And it will, yeah, it will never end. Right. And the premise is that's the false premise. Yeah. We all have it. So just realize that there's, you know, I joke, there's an 80 year old woman inside of me. There's a five-year-old. And sometimes I just turn to the little kid inside of me and have a conversation with them. But um, you know, that we have to have those conversations with society in general, society, you know, are the conversations inside ourselves with different phases of who we are, but we beat ourselves up being like, I am this age. I should be this way all the time. When, if you really believe in vibrations or eternity, we're always progressing. There's always movement. There's always going to be something to be um, to wash around using our walk, our rock water, Mm-hmm. analogies, right? There's always going to be something we need to do. And I think we get the phrases like fake it till you make it. I hate that because that connotates that you've arrived. And I hope I've never arrived in my life. Mm-hmm. I hope that I'm always engaged in learning and becoming more of my best self. Right. And yeah. faking it till you make it says I have to project this. That I've already made it. Well, and there's so much, there's so much pressure to keeping up appearances. And I mean, that, that alone, just that's so heavy. Wherein um, one thing that I learned through my healing was if I said to you, Lita, I'm feeling really nervous right now. And I'm just, you know, I'm not, and we have this discussion, even that diffuses. There's something, mm-hmm. like you said, to, to being able to vocalize. And I had somebody say to me, she actually helped me to share my story the first time and just really validating that there was a value there, but it was because I'd heard all the things, you know, no one wants to hear that and, you know, shut that down. And some things are better left unsaid. And <laughs> there's so much pain to being told that, especially by people that, you know, are showing up probably um, in a protective sense and out of love in the way that they know, but being able to vocalize and just say something that's true to you, is so powerful and it diffuses. Right. And so even when we have to find know, the people, the resources in our lives that we get to be, I mean, you know, we don't walk up to strangers and be like, Hey, I'm having period cramps. I mean, <laughs> I might, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I think that's one of the things that my life has taught me. That's a great lesson yeah. is I can maintain being me. And I'm not talking about doing the, just do you do whatever you want you thing. I'm just talking about like, I can consistently be me and I do not have much of a filter. Mm-hmm. And that has been a gift to help me communicate and help other people. Right. But for some people sharing something vulnerable is only going to be helpful 
to a select group of people. And it's important that we start first with that safety net around us of people, you know, being our spouse, maybe some family members, a friend. Um, because I think in social media, people put out, you know, something really trauma and you're, and you're scrolling on your social media and someone's like, if you love me, you know, comment with this emoji below. And I'm kind of like, whoa, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of heaviness to encounter just on a social media feed. And then they're like feed. And then they're like, um, you know, these, you know, I have 15 people who love me and hundred people who ignored me. See, I have hundred people that don't love me. And we're putting too much responsibility on people who haven't been willing to put that investment in. And it's so easy with social media, instead of realizing the quality of connection is probably not going to be found in a public platform. Right. Yeah. And there are great quality things that can happen, but what we really need in recovery from trauma and really need as human beings is a community, a tribe of people that are really there and we'll do it privately too. Most importantly, privately, not just publicly. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Right time, right place, right person. And I think like you say, creating that sense of safety or finding that and um, having that sense of safety for ourselves as we move through our own trauma and then um, being able to um, at this phase in my life, that's something that we're starting to do is to create that. I remember um, back to a year and a half ago, which by the way is not very long ago. If I say that, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, well, I you remember know, since we're so old, you know. You know yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, just the, the idea of having hope and being able to lean into hope. And I know some people, and I don't know where you're at with this, but I remember somebody saying to me that that was a little bit maybe more of a, you know, a lesser word than say faith or others. But, but I want to say when you haven't had hope, then hope takes on a very different feeling because being is, without hope, hope is, hope is everything. It's the beginning. It's the start. It's saying, I'm willing to consider something else. Hope is yeah. huge to me. I, in religious terms, hope is the precedes faith, mm-hmm. you know, the hope for the something, more, right? If you yeah. look at, um, you know, religious texts that I've seen, but um, hope is a very powerful, isn't it? Like when you talk about vibration, um, oh, I forgot the poopy word, the one that has the lowest vibration. Do you, do you know this one? They, they took different words to water. But anyway, I know what you're oh, referring to, but I don't remember yeah, which one. I don't remember the yeah, negative yeah. one was because I'm not going to, I'm not going to be using that word. We don't speak it. Yeah. I don't need to speak that, you know, <laughs> but hope was the highest vibration word. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, I think that's a really cool. And when you, you reference this and they've done that study out of Japan, it's like the Naijata study. And of course, yeah, Dr. Emoto. oh, what was that? You know it? Dr. Emoto. Okay. I'm not sure. Maybe. I thought it started with the Yeah. But they talked to the water that all came from the mm-hmm. same source. Yeah. I cite this one a lot um, yes. because it, it, it's so cool that it proves the power of prayer, it proves the power of positivity and the positivity of words, right? So whatever people's belief system is, we're made out of water. And if you talk from water from the same source and you talk, you know, poopy to it, you know, you're, you're ugly, you're not enough versus you're beautiful, you're capable, how, um, the, how much physicality difference that same water takes on that's been exposed to nothing else other than words. Right. And you know, that phrase from when we were kids, you know, sticks, you know, words, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Um, nope. Words can hurt you a lot. And there is a power in words. And so we need to be careful what words we allow to be, um, you know, and that's up to us. I don't think we can put that on other people. You can't say words around me, you know, but that's why you have to create your, your circle, your tribe and, you know, do a, a shaking it off as Taylor Swift says, or a cleansing, right? <laughs> right? Because I, um, my last guest, we had just talked about how dangerous it is when there's a censoring of words, but, um, you know, choosing to um, make sure that the words that we're repeating to ourselves, if you're using prayer, if you're using uh, a crystal to focus that, but it needs to be, you need to be intentional about what you're repeating, the music, all those things, right? Right. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so such, thank you for educating me more in a way that I don't feel like I'm being sacrilegious to my friends' religious beliefs when they have me a stone. Maybe right. I should go around ha- handing out religious talisman. I, I don't know. I'll be like, where did you bra? <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your fuel? So this may be a daily habit or affirmation that gives you strength. I would say quiet time. I have, I have this, I call it my prayer closet, a prayer meditation closet, what have you, it's literally my closet, but, um, but just being able to retreat and to be quiet and to have my own um, space where I can listen. I'm a very feel it girl and very intuitive. And so I just have to 
feel my way. Like I will take those steps and, and it can be unclear and I can uh, try to navigate that, but I have to have that um, just time to kind of feel my way in and center. Love it. So yeah. that's super important to me. Yeah. Perfect. I mean, that's, that's like the ultimate affirmation exercise, right? So yeah. what is your oxygen oxygen? This may be something that others can't see, but is a part of everything you've become. I would say that my own journey of feeling like I was just saying that lack of hope, um, the fact that hope and healing are possible, putting that out there to people with empowering the one, our focus is freedom, dignity, and purpose. And that really does fuel, excuse me, everything that like all of my passions go through that filter, just that common sense of dignity and creating that and seeing that in others, because being stripped of that just um, makes me super, super grateful. And just being able to step into helping others to create that for themselves. You're like the encapsulation of, they say that if you do what you love, you won't work. Um, right. You know what I'm saying? You know, cause it's yeah. like, this literally gets you up in the morning. It's super passionate to you. And it's interesting. People ask me a lot of times, you know, do you find healing by what you do? And yet to be an advocate, yes, we it's not just that we find healing in it. We've already found it. And so we have a passion for giving that to others, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm not using this to he- do my own healing. However, we're always progressing, of course, but right. You know what I mean? It's, right. yeah. it's, it's a, you have to have the chicken before the, the first egg. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Okay. So what is your heat? This is a unique gift or talent that you give the world. This was not what um, I, I had originally thought of with this, but what keeps going through my mind is just that sense of connection and empathy with others. And I mean empathy in the healthiest sense, but like you were just saying, our, our own journeys inform us. And then everything we do moving forward moves through that filter for better or for worse. But being able to um, feel empathy and compassion for others, regardless of their journey, I think, um, I really do think that that is a big part of, I think that my journey is part of who I've become. And so I, I think we did bring it forward. Yeah, and you know, I love this because, you know, people always ask the question of, you know, why, why do bad things happen? And it's like, because if they didn't, our learning would be so much slower. Right. And, you know, I've said this so many times, people are gonna be like, I know that's what you think, Leah, but you know, life is meant to be a test. And I think a divine hand was like, Hey, I'm going to give you a lab that you're going to learn a lot in, <laughs> and there's yeah, going to be, for sure. uh, you know, lab explosions and, you know, all the messiness of, you know, experimentation and learning. But, um, you know, as a parent, it's hard to wrap your mind around allowing children to experience hurt. And I'm in a big process with that with my son. Um, is going to be leaving for a, a two-year service mission to Columbia, Bogota, Columbia. And I'm like, oh my crap, this is insane. My kid is going to be mugged. My kid is going to get some tropical disease and I'm paying for it. <laughs> yeah, he's paying for half and I'm paying for half, you know, my husband and I, but um, you know, it's, it's, I'm like, okay, so this is what God was doing. He knew it before the betterment of helping us progress and going back to what you were saying. And I love this. And I really want to make sure I, I hit this with our, with our mutual audience today, that when we get to a place where we can embrace the pain, that is where the love for what it taught us comes. And that is such a gift. And I hit that a lot in my, my book, Love Me Too. And it sounds like you guys do that in your, your healing center as well, that you say, let's get to where we don't just escape this. We don't just process this, but we love, we love what we become from this. And that's a right. lot of work. It is a lot of work. And like you say, um, let's not assume that we're not already carrying it. Like we're, we're already carrying what we're carrying. What if we come together? What if we create um, community around that and a safe space? and then do the work in a, in a super supportive and safe way. Well, the versus that is possible. carrying it versus standing on top of it. Right. And that, that is possible, but we get so wrapped up in what we think is possible. And I think anything the history of humankind has shown, we're capable of great poopiness, but great triumph. I mean, for, for what you and I have gone through, you know, we haven't gone through seeing our whole entire village eradicated. So, you know, there's somebody who went through something worse. And um, I just wanted to take the opportunity too to emphasize, you know, we didn't even get into the human trafficking, that that is happening, not just in Haiti, but in our own neighborhoods. And we can't say that enough and we can't not be aware enough. So, so many great conversations. Um, love this so much that I hate to be like, dang, we're, ah, right. We can't have, we can't have two hour podcasts, but thank you so much, Liz. We'll make sure that in the show notes that we put down the resources for those that live in Tooele. And if you don't live in Utah, you'll be like, um, people always say Twilly, right? Twilly? It, 
Tooele, I'm not sure exactly because I'm from Utah, so we call it Tooele. But that is uh, out um, west of Salt Lake City. So thank you for um, stepping into the community and doing the work that you do. I, I love that because we're all needed, right? Absolutely. And thank you for having me. And thank you for um, using your voice and allowing me to be part of it as well. Well, it's all about sharing our hotness, our own unique gifts and having these conversations, opening our mouths and recognizing that, you know, what we see with our eyes is not um, who we really are. And so for those, you know, that, that can't see you, you know, um, you know, Liz is a, a normal looking, whatever normal is supposed to mean anymore. You know, um, I just had no rocks fall out of her bra this whole conversation. <laughs> so if you are wearing rocks, you know, but, um, you know, but when we just look at someone, we might make a summation about them, but you're, you're unassuming in your appearance, which I consider myself kind of unassuming unless I'm dressed up all fancy. And um, we just don't know unless we have conversations with people about what you've been through, the, the hell you've been through and the, the heaven you're creating. Right. So just gotta, gotta talk to people. Gotta, gotta love the people. So thank you for being on this Liz. Thank you for being on this episode of share your hotness. Thank you. The Share Your Hotness podcast is produced by Van Garrett Media. Lita Green is the host and creator of the podcast. Chris Van Garrett is the editor, producer, and music director. Shayla Dawn is our research coordinator. Join us next week for another episode of the Share Your Hotness podcast. Thanks for listening. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media.